Cripple Creek, Colorado is an old gold mining town at the base of the Pikes Peak, Colorado. In the mines there, there are, uh, go there's gold that mixes with a white chemical brittle element called tellurium. So it forms an ore together, the gold and the tellurium. Well, back in the 1800s, gold miners did not know that you could separate the gold from the tellurium. So they saw the ore, both of the elements together, thinking, well, we'd love to have the gold, but we can't get to it. So they would toss it away and throw it in these big scrap heaps. Well, one day, one of the gold miners was in his house, and he was, had the fire going, and he had some, some of the ore that was with him there, and he just tossed the mixture into the fire and continued to do that, several of the ores. A few days later, he went to remove the ashes from his stove, and he found something interesting. At the bottom of the stove was pure gold. The fire had burned away the tellurium and left nothing but the pure gold. And so the miners realized we can start just burning this and making and having pure gold that's refined and pure. And they began making fortune. This is Cripple Creek, Colorado today, a population of about 1,200. You'll see on the left. And on the right, even the gold and the tellurium, after it has been separated there on the right, even done so today. Sometimes the fire removes everything except the valuable. What's really important. I'm going through a sermon series through the book of Daniel, one chapter for Sunday, and it's entitled Ancient of Days. And when we're tracing the story of, of four Hebrew teenagers between the ages of 13 and 17, taken out of Jerusalem, taken to Babylon to live. And we saw in chapter 1 that one of those by the name of Daniel told the king, Nebuchadnezzar, they were not going to bow down and eat the foods of the king. So we saw in the story they didn't eat the, the foods. They looked healthier than everyone else, and they were promoted. Then we go to chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And in the dream, he realized that uh, there's something going on. I don't, I don't know what it is. And God gave Daniel the, the, the ability to interpret the dream and Daniel and the, and the three other young Hebrew boys, they were exalted in the kingdom. Well, now we come to chapter 3, and they find themselves in a fire. Read with me verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from 
the fire. There's some great lessons for us in this story. Let's look at them this morning. First of all, letter A on your outline, verses 1 through 12, do not relax the biblical standard. Number one, do not relax the biblical standard. Sometime after Nebuchadnezzar had the dream in chapter 2, we don't know whether it was a few months, maybe a couple of years. Theologians really don't know how long between chapter 2 and chapter 3. But as we open chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar is wanting to unite all the kingdom around one image. And so he erected an image and he set it up on the plain of Dura. Dura is where they went out of Babylon, six miles to the southeast, where they would go out there and worship Babylonian gods. So he erected this golden image and put it all the way up 99 feet high, nine feet wide at the base. It's a massive image, 10 stories high. There was one larger one, the Colossus in Rhodes, that reached up 105 feet in the day. But pretty impressive, 99 feet high, 10-story building, and the image was erected. Who was it of? Well, some people say it was his image, Nebuchadnezzar, and he wanted them to bow down and worship him. Now, the Bible doesn't say it was his image. It, it could have been an Im image of an animal, which is common in those days when they would build anim images. could have been an obelisk, but we don't know what it was, but we know that he erected it so that everyone would bow down and worship it and give loyalty to him. So it very well could have been his image. So he sent out an order. Everybody in the kingdom who is a leader, you must come to the plains of Dura. It is time for worship. So the Bible tells us he sent Notes to the satraps. These are Babylonian and Persian, both titles. Satraps were political officials. And the prefects, those were the military officials. And the governors, and the counselors, and the treasurers, and the judges, and the magistrates. That would be what we would know as the sheriffs. All the leaders had to gather, show allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar, and bow down to the image. So they all gathered, even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew young men. They went out to the plains of Dura, Dura and they gathered. So there they are, verse 4. The herald pronounced, Hear ye, hear ye from the king. Whenever you hear the sound of the music, Music was very big in ancient Babylon. When you hear the sound of the music, when you hear it, bow down and worship the image. In Hebrew, it literally means as the music goes up, you go down on the first note. So, the horns, the pipes, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipes, the wind instruments, stringed instruments, when they hit the first notes, you hit the ground and show your allegiance 
to the image. Oh, and by the way, in case you do not, we have a fiery furnace over here that's, that, that's the fire's going, it's hot, and we'll toss you in it if you don't bow. So the music struck up and the band started. The harp, the lyre, the bagpipes, everything. And as soon as the music started, every knee bowed before the image. Except three. The three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they just stood there. They didn't bow. And three of Nebuchadnezzar's officials noticed. Now, my question was, if they're bowing, how do they know the other three aren't? They must have been peeking. And so they noticed that they were not bowing. And they were, they were nobles, not astrologers, though so they were nobles. That meant they were the king's officials. And if they got rid of these three Hebrews, they would get a promotion. Aha! Let's go tell the king they didn't bow. And let's watch those Hebrews burn in the fire. So they went to the king. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, live forever. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we have a question for you, king. Did you not say that whenever the music went up that every knee must go down and worship the image? King, did you not say that? Yes, I did. Well, there are three Jews who did not bow. By the way, in this passage, the word Jew is a racial slur. Now, it's not today. Jews call themselves Jews. It's a shortened form of, form of, of the tribe Judah, Judahites. And so they call themselves Jews. But in this day, the term was a racial slur. King, we have three Jews who did not bow. They are disrespecting you. And Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible said, got furious. Time out. Stop for a moment. I want us to think about today. Today in our culture, culture has gone out to the plains of Dura and they have erected an image, a standard that they think is right. And you're expected to bow. And if you don't, they get furious. There's an image constructed in our culture that stands against Scripture and opposes everything in the Word of God. And it opposes it. And you're expected to bow down when the music starts. And if you don't, they get angry. And if you stand up and say, no, no, I'm, I'm against abortion. Oh, they get angry because you didn't bow to the image. And they say, well, you hate women. 
We believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation and all the other ways are wrong. Then you're intolerant. We believe in the biblical definition of marriage. Then you're a homophobe. We question race theories that are based on socialism. Then you're a xenophobe, you bigots. And they're angry at us because we didn't bow. And we don't go along with intersectionality and they get furious. And we don't go along with sexual identity of, of, of the image and they get angry. And we don't go along with the transgenderism because the Bible doesn't teach it. And they get so angry. Folks, they get angry if you just vote for the wrong candidate. They get furious because you're not bowing to the image. And so they come against you. They put you in a fire. And they cancel you. They withdraw support from you. They, they ridicule you on social media. They put pressure on you to bow. Calls to be fired from your jobs. Boycotting your business. Putting pressure on. So you'll bow the knee to the image. A recent poll said that Americans, 62% of Americans, do not feel the freedom to share what they believe on all the issues. 62% don't feel like they can openly share how they feel. Because if you do, and it doesn't go with the image, they get furious. Just last year, 2021, just college campuses, nothing else, not businesses, not your personal life, just college campuses alone, 2021, 241 specific incidences of where people were fired or canceled because of something they believed. 241. Professors were fired, speakers were canceled, honorary degrees were pulled, pro-Israel groups were done away with, curriculum was changed. New York University law professor, who's actually the dean of the school, was reading a document, and in the document, it uses the term slaveholder. He didn't say he was for or against. He's reading the document in class. And because in the document, he came to the word slaveholder and said it, he was fired. Georgetown University law professor quoted statistics, fired. Miami University law professor and Yale law professor, both fired because they came out publicly and said they voted for Donald Trump. Hard. Can't you vote who you want to? No. You got to go by the image. 
medical school and a Duke professor. Fired because he said there are biologically two sexes, male and female. He was fired for teaching that in class. Theater professor wasn't fired but was suspended because he didn't support Jesse Smollett when he made the false claims that he was attacked. Didn't support that. Suspended. King's College, New York, states in their values, we are an institution for biblical worldview. New York Board of Education pull their accreditation. Folks, nonconformity, serious issue, was in Babylon. It is today. You don't bow. There's anger. So the question is, are you going to be the three Hebrew young men? Or are you going to bow? Put the letter B on your outline. Obedience can be costly. Verses 13 to 23. Nebuchadnezzar was furious. Ordered the three boys to be brought to him. Now, we saw last week that the the wording that's used in Hebrew for the Hebrew children, calls them children, they were between the ages of 13 and 17. It's been a few years now. Most theologians think these three, Daniel might have been a little older, they think these three, probably about 17. So remember that. Three 17-year-old young men. Nebuchadnezzar ordered them to be brought in and stood before him. Now, my question is, where was Daniel? He's not there. Remember chapter 1, there there were four of them, Daniel and the three. Chapter 2, Daniel and the three. Chapter 3, the three are by themselves, no Daniel. Where is he? Well, several theories. One theory is that maybe he was sick that day. Possible. Another theory is, by by being in Nebuchadnezzar's cabinet, he had already already shown his loyalty. Maybe. Others say he probably had already bowed to the image. Nope, doubt that. That doesn't sound like Daniel. But most probably, the most common theory is, he was probably out of the country on the king's business, which was his job, and he very well could have been. But Daniel's not there, it's the three. Nebuchadnezzar ordered they be brought in and stood before him. He was angry. Young men, is it true what I heard of you? You would not bow to the image. They didn't say anything. So he said, okay, I'll give you a second chance. One more time, I'm going to strike up the band. And one more time, as the notes go up, your knees better hit the ground. And if not, there's a furnace over here, just a little motivation for you. Got it, guys? Now, band, get ready. The voice said, hold on a second. Wait. Oh, king, there's no need for us to answer you in this matter. Verse 16, whatever they say, we 
the we is emphatic. So in other words, they said, oh, king, there is no need for that, that we answer you in this matter because we're not going to bow. We bow our knees to one, and that's the God of Israel, Yahweh. About anybody else. And King, our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace you have over there and from your hand. It's pretty good for 17 year old boys, isn't it? He's able to deliver us, O King. But listen next. But if he does not, we're not bowing. But if he does not deliver us, but if he does not, folks, that shows a faith that even if God doesn't deliver you, I'm trusting him. They didn't ask for a miracle. They didn't say, oh, dear God, may we not burn when we know how the story ends. They didn't. They didn't ask for a miracle. They did not expect a miracle. They simply loved God more than they loved life. Bottom line. Now, they could have said, you know, guys, we can't be a witness for God if we're dead. Let's go ahead and bow. Let's go ahead and just for a moment... And let's live and ask God to use us. I mean, it's five, five minutes, okay? The band plays for five minutes. We're on our knees before the image. Five minutes. Five minutes for the king. Okay, what's the big deal? Let's save our necks. Ask God to forgive us. And then ask him to use us in the days to come. That's what many of us would have done. But he said, nope. King, we're not bowing at all. What courage. We don't have that kind of courage against cancel culture. We don't. They did. Now, I want you to notice something. Oswald Chambers said it first. Oswald Chambers said... Faith in God's deliverance is not the same as faith in God. It's not. Faith that God's going to deliver you and faith in God are two different things. Let me give you an example. Since I've been pastoring, I've seen something happen several times over the course of, of my pastorate. Not just here, but other churches. Here's a scenario. Somebody gets hurt, maybe an accident, maybe they're in a car accident, they're critical. They have a heart attack. It doesn't look good. They're diagnosed with cancer. They're at the final stages. They're in the hospital. Family members who didn't live for the Lord, they don't go to church, not involved in following the Lord at all, show up and, and they start talking faith. Oh, God's going to raise them up. I know God's going to heal them. God's going to, he's going to do a miracle. He's in the miracle business. And they talk faith. And they don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to hear any negativity. I don't care what the doctor says. The doctor's not God. God's going to raise them up. 
and they put on social media and they're in the waiting room. That's all they're talking about. I know God's going to heal them. And they talk nothing but faith. The person dies. And they get so angry at God. Go back to living like a pagan. See, it happened many times. They didn't have faith in God. They had faith in God's deliverance. And when it didn't happen, they went right back. These young men had faith in God, regardless of what happened. That's the kind of faith He blesses. A regardless kind of faith. Well, as you can imagine, Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. Oh my goodness. He was mad before. But when those three teenagers said that, he got really angry. The Bible said he got so angry that his face changed. You ever known people get so mad their face changes? His face changed. Whoa, he was steaming. Boys, get that furnace heated up. We've got three customers. and Make it hotter, seven times hotter than it is now. Well, a lot of theologians say really seven is the number of perfection, so there's really no way you can heat it seven times hotter than it was. But actually, there was a way you could do that. They have uncovered in ex- uh, archaeological excavations in the Babylonian area, uh, what, what is, was then Bab- Babylon, in that area have found several furnaces that they would put people into. There's a collection at Yale University called the Yale Babylonian Collection where several of them are. Some of them are funnel-shaped. You put the person in, it's like a funnel. They drop down to the bottom where the fire is and they go in. There are others, probably this one was like that, like kind of like a milk bottle, it's like this, and then narrow at the top. And you have an opening at the top. You have an opening at the bottom. The top is where you put people in. The bottom is where you gather the fire. They would have pipes as vents. You could maneuver the pipes in certain ways that the fire actually got hotter. And there would be a way to make it seven times hotter. At the very top, it was usually clear, whether it was glass or some type of clear, where you could actually see in and watch the people burn. So Nebuchadnezzar ordered this seven times hotter. And he ordered the three Hebrew young men to be captured. Left their coats on them, left the clothes on them, left their hats on, the turbans that they had, left it on them. And the only thing, they put ropes on their hands and ropes on their feet where they couldn't move their hands and they couldn't move their feet. And the officials bound them together and tossed them. I don't know how long the fall was but it tossed them down into the furnace. Folks, sometimes obedience can be costly, and sometimes when you don't bow to the image, you pay a price. But go to letter C. God does not leave the faithful by themselves. Verses 24 to 30. God does not leave the faithful by by themselves. Nebuchadnezzar, he's going to enjoy this. Those three Hebrews worshiping only one God, not the Babylonian gods, refusing to bow, and then being a smart aleck before me, I'm going to enjoy this. And he walked over to look in from the clear top on into the furnace, and he was shocked. 
He looked in and went, wait a minute. Guys, come here. Advisors, counselors, come here. What, what is it, King? Come here, look. Guys, did we not toss three of them down into the fire? Yes, King, we did. There's four. And, and the fourth one looks like a son of the gods. You see, he didn't, know, he didn't know Jesus. He didn't know Yahweh. So he didn't know to call him the son of God. He just knew him to be a deity. It was a theophany. It was an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And he said, they're, they're walking around. Their hands are they're not bound anymore. And their feet aren't tied they're, they're having fun down there. What are they, what's going on? And he's shocked. Because Jesus had come down into the fire to be with the three Hebrew children who would not bow. Well, folks, let me tell you this morning, he, he may not keep you out of the fire, but he'll walk through it with you. You may go through a fire. You may be in a fire this morning. And he may not keep you from it. But he'll walk with you through it. And I'll tell you, I'd rather walk with Jesus in the fire than without him in the world. So here's what he did. Nebuchadnezzar said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out of there. Hey, come help them out. So they, they helped them out of there. And they got them out, and they were amazed. Their, their clothes weren't burned. Their hair wasn't singed. They, they didn't even smell like smoke. The only thing that was different, the ropes that bound them were gone. The only thing you lose in the fire is what binds you. That's all. So he made a decree. Listen, everybody in the whole kingdom. The king has a decree. Hear ye, hear ye. And everybody gathered to hear the decree. And Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be Yahweh of Israel. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because he sent his angel into the fire and nobody can deliver like this God. So I make a decree every nation, language, tongue, people, and all the Babylonian kingdom, you don't say a word against the God of Israel. And if you do, you'll be torn from limb to limb and your house placed in ruins. You don't say a word. Nobody can deliver like that. Now, now, hold on a second. Notice this. We started the chapter by Nebuchadnezzar trying to gather and unify the nation around one image that was probably him. And we closed the chapter with him unifying the whole kingdom around worship of Yahweh. Isn't that crazy? Started out with his worship. It ended with the worship of God. Just because you go through the fire 
does not mean God has left you. It may mean you're doing things right. Christmas morning, Christmas Eve morning, 1866, Eldon and Jean Johnson had a baby girl. It's their firstborn. They were so happy, God gave them a Christmas baby. Three years later, Jean gave birth to, they named the little girl Annie that was born, gave birth to Annie's little sister three years later, but something went wrong with the birth. The baby lived, but Jean died. And so Annie has a new baby sister, but her mom is dead at the age of 23. Her dad didn't feel like he could raise two girls, so he gave Annie and her sister away. Little did they realize later that their father had a, had a terminal illness himself, and he would die just a couple years later. So they gave Annie and her daughter and her sister to a friend who had been an old Civil War vet. He didn't have much means to raise the girls, and he didn't really care for them anyway. So he raised them, but paid, really paid no attention to them. But the next door neighbor was a godly couple by the last name of Flint, Susie Flint and her husband. And they would check on the girls. They noticed them and felt sorry for them, and they would teach them about Jesus, and they would take them to church, and they they led them both to Christ. Annie and her sister were raised then with the next door neighbor who no blood relation. They just called her Aunt Susie because Susie would show up and take care of them and teach them about God. A little bit later, the Civil War vet agreed, I don't really care for the kids. You can adopt them if you want. So the Flints adopted the two girls. And they were there, so they changed their name to Annie Johnson Flint. She grew up, but she never felt real well, Annie didn't. Always her body always hurt. Finally, it kept getting worse and worse, and they took her to the doctor. The doctor said, you have juvenile arthritis. It's only going to get worse. You'll eventually get to where you can't walk. You're going to be, you're basically going to be an invalid the rest of your life. And just after she got the news, Mr. and Mrs. Flint both died within months apart. It's Annie and her sister. Both believers. Annie can't walk. She's lost four parents. And she's going to spend the rest of her life in an institution. Her only source of inspiration is writing she wrote poems. She wrote songs. And they ministered to her heart. And now, all these years later, Annie Johnson Flint's hymns and poems and songs inspire believers all around the world. Here's a picture of Annie Johnson Flint. There aren't many pictures of her. This is, I know the, the, it's kind of grainy. It's not real good. 
But that's after she got a little bit older. One of the few pictures we have there, she's living in the institution. And all she does is write all day of her love for Jesus. I want you to listen to one of the poems she wrote about her life. God has not promised skies always blue. Flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God never promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, and peace without pain. God has not promised smooth roads and wide, swift, easy travel, needing no guide. Never a mountain rocky and steep, never a river turbid and deep. But God has promised strength for today, rest for your labor, light for your way. Grace for your trials, help from above, unfailing kindness, and undying love. Folks, you may go through a fire, but you'll never be alone. Father, I want to thank you today for your word. Thank you for what you teach us through it. God, I pray that you will give us courage in the midst of our day when the image is set up on the plains of Dura, that we will not bow, that we will not relax the standard of your word. Father, I pray as we go through the fire that your presence would be there. Lord, there are those in our midst this morning going through fires and difficulties. God, would you walk with them? Those today that do not know Jesus as personal Savior, they don't have a God to turn to. Lord, may today be the day they turn to you in faith. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.